0: The fishing industry is the country's fifth biggest export earner, with the deep water fishery worth $650 million in export receipts. But more than half of the vessels involved are foreign vessels. In this highlight programme, first broadcast on Radio New Zealand National in October, Insight asks if the industry should be heading in a new direction.
1: A Korean foreign charter vessel being contacted by the Royal New Zealand Navy during a deep sea hockey fishery survey in the exclusive economic zone. New Zealand has a world-class quota management system, but for more than three decades more than half of the deep sea catch has been netted by foreign charter vessels using foreign crews. I'm Nick Butcher and in this insight I ask if New Zealand is giving away its fishing resource rather than developing the industry at home. Is this country's international reputation of sustainable harvesting and providing a top-quality product from clean seas at risk of being blackened? Foreign vessels are chartered by some of the country's largest quota owners, Sea Lord, Sanford and Southeast Resources, along with Independent Fisheries, United Fisheries and Maruha Corporation. The bulk of the catch is put through initial processing of gutting and heading at sea. After that, a quarter of everything caught is sent to China for processing to make the fish ready for sale. Hearings are currently underway of submissions made to a ministerial investigation into the use of such vessels and how they operate. It was set up following allegations of some crew suffering physical, mental and sexual abuse and of appalling living conditions and slave labour pay rates.
2: I work 18 until uh, 20 hours per day. And for I, one month, got 300 New Zealand dollars. Without reason, official will find excuse (laughs) to whack my head and call me
1: a dog. Crew members describing conditions aboard the Oyang 75, which replaced the sunken Oyang 70. Both these Korean ships were chartered by Southern Storm Fishing Limited. The entire crew abandoned the vessel in Littleton earlier this year, alleging they were beaten, abused, and underpaid. Foreign charter vessels have been fishing New Zealand waters since 1977. There are about 2,500 foreign fishermen working on 25 foreign-flagged boats, just over half the entire deep-sea fleet. Of all the country's major quota owners, the Tellys Group is the only company not utilising foreign charter vessels and actively lobbies against their use. The chief executive of Tellys Fishing Division, Tony Hazlitt, says the use of foreign boats was supposed to be a stepping stone for the industry until it had both feet firmly on the ground. At that time, he said it was a sensible choice.
3: The reality is that 34 years ago we didn't have the skill base in New Zealand to be able to catch our own fish and we needed to import the skill to help us out. We also didn't have the capital base to be able to do it. The foreign, the foreign charter fleet gave us a start, gave us the ability to start investing in our own industry, what we call New Zealandisation. The reality is that one of the major problems we face today with it is we still have foreign crude foreign vessels in New Zealand as well.
1: One of the long-held reasons for the use of foreign flagged trawlers is that New Zealanders are not prepared to do the work. Tony Hazlitt has empathy with that given the conditions he says are prevalent on many deep sea fishing boats.
3: The conditions aboard some of the vessels at sea now, the foreign joint venture vessels, are appalling. You will never ever get a New Zealander to work on board them and I wouldn't expect them to because They are atrocious conditions, they are dirty and uh, a New Zealander just simply wouldn't work on those boats, let alone the the pay
1: scale. But he would argue that ships that are not up to scratch or that treat their staff poorly should not be operating in New Zealand waters and potentially damaging the industry's image in the international market. Peter Dawson is a Nelson-based maritime lawyer who arrived in New Zealand from Cape Town in South Africa about a decade ago. Sitting by one of Nelson's marinas, he told me he was stunned that a country promoting itself on the basis of 100% pure was using foreign charter vessels to catch its
2: fish. When I arrived here 10 years ago, I had just been involved in a big case involving a Dong Nam vessel, which had been detained in Cape Town for a whole range of fisheries offending. And when I arrived in New Zealand and found vessels owned by the same company here in New Zealand, I was amazed. I thought, This would have been an environment being under the quota management system that you would have no foreign charter vessels here given their abysmal track record around the world of fisheries offending in multiple jurisdictions. The Ministry of Fisheries says foreign charter vessels currently
1: operating in this country's waters for New Zealand companies are from Korea, Ukraine and Japan. It says that in the 2009 to 2010 fishing season, 43% of all catch was harvested by such vessels, equating to 182,000 tonnes of seafood. Korea has signalled its strong interest in New Zealand's fishery with initial demands for open access to this country's fishing grounds as part of free trade agreement negotiations. But the Ministry of Foreign Affairs says New Zealand has no intention of agreeing to such access. But Seoul does encourage the use of its vessels by imposing a 17% tariff on New Zealand fish unless it is caught by Korean charter vessels, in which case it is tariff-free. Peter Dawson says that is just
2: one of the many benefits foreign charter vessels get. The moment those vessels go out beyond 12 miles, they're not subject to local income tax or um, GST, or they're not required to deduct PAYE or ACC contributions from their crews' wages. A translator for the Indonesian men aboard
1: the Oyang 75 made this plea for better treatment of foreign fishermen.
0: In the future, we hope that New Zealand government will take in care of the foreign worker who work in New Zealand water.
1: Peter Dawson says foreign charter vessels are only here to maximize return for corporate quota owners rather than as part of any effort to
2: create partnerships to grow the industry. The original intention, which was driven by the United Nations Convention for the Law of the Sea, was to allow distant water fishing nations access to coastal states that had insufficient capacity to harvest their resources. 30 years ago New Zealand may have had insufficient local capacity to harvest deep water resources but that certainly isn't the case today. So the underlying rationale or basis on which these vessels operate in my view has long since evaporated. New Zealand fish should be caught by New Zealand flagged and owned vessels by New Zealanders, not utilising foreign charter vessels. The reason why foreign charter vessels are here is for commercial expediency. It's got no basis in international law.
1: I'm on Tally's Wharf uh, at the Port of Nelson. Moored here is the Amotau Atlantis, the Amotau Atlantis is the Telly's vessel that rescued the crew from the stricken Oyang 70, the Korean trawler which sunk, resulting in the loss of six lives? I toured the trawler's catch and processing area with Telly's operations manager, Captain Andy Smith. So we call this Skid Row. Each
4: <laughs> one of these magazines has about a thousand hooks on. 15 burrow hooks, they all go out through the back through this automatic baiting machine. This puts a single bait on a single hook, four to six hooks a second go out there. So below us again we've got the main freezer hole, fish meal plant and other stuff, but anyway, we won't go the fish meal plant. No. Factory. Pretty much up here where the fish come in. This is where all the processing goes on. Yeah, yeah. It's very simple with two fish, you just head and gut. Get off and pull the guts out. Yeah. So basically, the line gets hauled through this big hauler. They gaff the fish aboard, cut its throat, put it through bleeding tanks, and then start the processing. Once it's done its rounds, it goes up through here. On the chain. And into the blast
1: freezes. Tellies is keen to explain the working conditions for crew on board. For details, I went to the captain of the Amato Atlantis Dennis Hollyman.
5: You know well, our factory crew work six-hour shifts, day in, day out while we're at sea, but then you know we're only working two and a half hours, then we'll have Smoko, and then we finish off the rest of our six-hour shift. So you know, they're getting that break as well. They'll start at seven in the morning, 10 o'clock maybe Smoko, and then they knock off at lunchtime and then the other shift starts.
1: Across the wharf from Tellys is Sea Lord, which along with Sanford is one of the biggest quota owners in the country. The general manager of Sea Lord's harvest operations, Colin Williams, says along with its four New Zealand trawlers, it has two joint venture long-line vessels in partnership with Tellys. He says they also have three Ukrainian foreign charter vessels, with foreign crews catching bulk, low-value products such as jack mackerel, squid and barracuda. Colin Williams believes it would be pretty difficult to find enough suitable New Zealand crew to be able to replace those foreign
6: charter vessels with New Zealand ships. Even now for our domestic fleet we struggle to get motivated, drug free and willing to work personnel to go to sea. So the concept of perhaps having to put another 240 odd personnel on the water would be too much of a challenge. I've just been over at Tellys and they've got 80
1: to 100 applications there wanting to work on their ships there are people out there that want to work.
6: As I said, you go through a self-screening process. We may also have between 80 and 100 applicants, but what happens is as soon as we announce that part of our policy is drug testing, we'll find sometimes between 40 and 50% of those personnel will self-exclude. Then we get to the reference checking processes and we may find that there's another percentage excluded. And going through the exclusion process gets you down to some pretty low numbers. I uh, say so it's about motivated people that are drug free. A recent example where we went through a shortlist from a number, whether it was 80 or 100, I can't recall, but we ended up with 12 personnel we were looking at seriously employing on our ships. Out of those 12, eight failed the drug test. Cannabis or methamphetamine. Sea
1: Lord processes up to 85% of its catch at sea, and the remaining 15% at its land-based processing facilities. About 13% of the total catch is sent to China for further processing.
4: So we're inside the processing factory at Sea Lord. There are about 70 people working on the chain gang processing
1: the hockey catch. This is a highly sanitary area. This is where you're uh, in the white gumboots and the protective overalls, uh, which I am also wearing. With continued processing at sea and overseas, none of the companies here appear to be looking to increase land processing facilities or add further value to caught fish. It's the lower operating costs and economies of scale on the bigger foreign vessels that make it difficult for local boat owners such as Tony Roach to compete. His million-dollar 22-meter trawler, Corsair, catches only half its capacity.
5: Main thing for us is our Hokie fishery, which is a prominent part of our turnover annually. With the charter boats there, the availability of quotas, those guys can compete on the market and pay more for the quota and operate a uh, better levels and we, we just can't compete and get the hokey quota anymore so we're catching basically half what we used to catch because it's all we, we can afford to get. This last season we had 650 tonne and we're quite capable of catching double that. We were building an industry up, New Zealandisation, when I, you know, where young guys started off and that's all been thrown out the door now. And You've been in the industry for how long? It's all I've ever done since I left school. I've been on the water for... Uh, 25, 27 years. My father's a fisherman, my brother's are both fishermen. We, that's all we do. There's a lot of guys with a lot of tickets that are working as mates and second mates and bosuns that sh- are capable of running boats and driving them. And, and, I mean, it wouldn't happen overnight because we've run the fishery down as, and the workforce down. But we need to turn around and look at ourselves and, and rebuild our industry and train these guys up and get these kids out of college and let people know that the fishing industry is a good place to be. And
1: Could this country...
5: Stand on its own
1: two feet and run the deep sea fishing industry independent of foreign charter vessels.
5: Oh yeah, but easy straight away.
1: Tony Haslett from Telly's backs up Tony
3: Roach's view. There is plenty of New Zealanders who have the skill to catch this fish. Uh, we've got plenty of people who would like to work at sea. We are processing a hundred applications a week through our own company and The ability to actually go out and charter a dry charter a boat and crew it with New Zealanders is there now for us to catch our own fish with our own workforce. And that should be under New Zealand employment conditions.
1: Māori interests own about a third of the fishing quota. Fred Cookson is a director within Aotearoa Fisheries, the largest Māori-owned fisheries company in New Zealand, which owns half of Sealord. He says Māori are not equipped for deep-sea fishing.
5: A lot of our inshore iwi, they have no knowledge of how to fish in the deep sea. A lot of them are not conversant with the economics of doing that. So we're not deep sea fishermen, okay, our coastal iwi, who are traditionally inshore fishermen, they have a better knowledge and understanding, they have capacity in that area. So Māori don't directly um, uh, engage in the uh, hiring of charter vessels, um, but in some instances, Māori do lease quota or Derive, they derive the ace off their quota, or they lease ace, annual catch entitlement, to entities that hire tra- foreign charter vessels. So you've got to be absolutely clear about the role that they play. And in most cases, they're not understanding or aware of the practices that may occur on these foreign vessels.
1: Te Oho Kamuana, the Māori Fisheries Trust, is the organisation overseeing and developing Māori fisheries. Its chief executive, Peter Douglas, says Māori only settled with the government 20 years ago, and iwi organizations have had their own fishing boats and equipment for the past five years. Mr Douglas says renting their annual catch entitlement to other companies that in turn charter foreign fishing vessels makes a good return for iwi. But he acknowledges there is room for multi
0: quota holders to expand into deep sea fishing through the training programs it supports. I think so, but you know, you have to work your way through that as well. It's not like there are a whole lot of idle vessels lying around that we own and we're not using. And um, and and as well as that, it's a and it's a particular sort of person that that, that likes that sort of. That sort of life—it's a—it's a—you can be out on the sea for weeks or months at a time. I can imagine that it's a—it's not that conducive to family life. So it's a particular sort of person that's prepared to work in that sort of way. And that's not to say that there aren't many people that like to do that. We've just got to work our way through what makes the most sense. So, I mean, there's been a lot of focus on the fishing foreign crewed vessels in New Zealand waters, as if Maori quota is the only quota that they catch. But virtually all of the deep-sea companies in New Zealand use foreign fishing vessels to a greater or lesser degree.
1: When asked if there was room to develop the industry and get involved in adding more value to deep-sea fish exports, Mr Douglas said it was not just an issue for iwi quota owners.
0: We own about a third of the fisheries quotas in New Zealand, but is that the only part of the fishing quotas that are being caught by foreign vessels? That's not so. We're acutely aware of, and we also understand that lots of people in our community need work. Lots of people are are hoping that the fishing assets would bring some employment to the communities that need that sort of thing. You know, We're party to those discussions, and we we have been quite encouraging of things over these many years. But uh, the thing that... Bothers me is the way that everything centers on the Māori fishing assets, as though these are the only ones that are being caught by foreign crew vessels.
1: Out of all Iwi, the South Islands Naitahu tribe holds the most deep water and inshore quota. Its fish are caught by tallies, United Fisheries, which utilizes some foreign chartered vessels, and O'Kane's Bay Longline, which is owned by a Naitahu fisherman. The chief executive of Naitahu Seafood, Brian Moriarty, says it plans to further grow Māori fisheries. And released this statement. As
3: much as we can we are helping to develop multi fisheries. We are mostly starting with cray fishing initiatives but potentially as businesses build it will be possible to move into the deep-sea area. Remember that our current deep-sea quota
1: package wouldn't be sufficient to make an economic catch plan for a deep-sea trawler. While the ministerial inquiry is focusing on the use and operations of foreign vessels Others are highlighting questions over the quality of the product processed at sea and overseas. In 2009, at the Seafood Industry Conference, the Prime Minister John Key in his opening speech notes said,
3: Increasingly, wealthy markets in Europe and North America are demanding seafood that they can be sure is harvested legally and sustainably. We are seeing demands from the European Union that all seafood for sale should be traceable back to individual vessels. If we want to sell our product at a premium in these markets, we need to meet those demands.
1: Researchers at Auckland University's Business School, who documented some of the abuse allegations against foreign charter vessels, back the Prime Minister's view. But only a handful of nations such as the United States, Australia, the European Union and Japan have mandatory country of origin labelling legislation for seafood. University researcher Glenn Simmons says New Zealand has resisted adopting such practices, although they were introduced in Australia in 2004. He says the food-related E. coli outbreak in Germany this year, which killed more than 20 people and infected thousands, should serve as a wake-up call to the New Zealand fishing industry.
7: studied on some years ago where one of the... Uh, reasons for opposing country of origin labeling was that it would impose in, in a cost on consumers of about $60 million. But I think as we are seeing with um, food safety problems, particularly the one in Germany, that cost is insignificant compared to the fallout and the damage it could do to our reputation and, and our economy if a product was um, perceived
1: to have come from New Zealand and it created the similar sort of problems. The cause of the infection in Germany was finally found to be locally grown sprouts and seeds from Egypt were thought to be responsible. The Green Party has long campaigned for country of origin labelling. Its Oceans and Fisheries spokesperson, Gareth Hughes, says New Zealand should follow
8: the example of Australia and introduce mandatory labelling. Obviously the producers and retailers are arguing against it in terms of cost. I think there's a small set cost, but it's going to be cheap in the long run. But the fact is, New Zealand has increasingly been called to account and I think embarrassed on the world stage just a fortnight ago the Guardian ran a series of articles around the impact on our threatened Hector's Dolphin and our fishing industry you might not believe it, but the New York Times's largest viewed page a couple of years ago was looking at New Zealand hokey fisheries and their role in the McDonald's fillet of fish burger in the States. A whole range of international commentators are questioning our sustainability. And for a country that is marketing ourselves as a hundred percent pure, clean, and green, having unsustainable fishing practices and having foreign charter vessels alleged to be conducting slave-like conditions and very poor employment conditions, it will damage our clean green brand. So instead of going for those niche premium markets we're instead going for those low value markets and not trying to sell our story on the world stage.
1: University researcher Glenn Simmons believes fish caught on foreign charter vessels cannot be claimed to be 100% pure product of New Zealand. My own view is and and certainly
7: the, the way that the EU is leaning on this and I agree with them that it can't be seen as a product of New Zealand and I think, with voluntary labeling that we have at the moment, more of the the labeling that the way that fish has been labeled is more of PR than complying with regulatory standards.
1: If the product is being processed in China cheaply again, isn't this just a further example of maximising the profit? and taking advantage of extremely cheap labour?
7: Absolutely. Studies are showing, and there was one very recent in New Zealand, that consumers are demanding improved country of origin labelling. By extension, that means improved product traceability. Uh, They also want to see uh, who the manufacturer is and where it is and how it's been uh, manufactured. And I think if country of origin labelling was introduced into New Zealand now, it would certainly pose a number of problems for the way in which the seafood industry
1: currently catches and processes their catch. Sea Lord's general manager of harvest operations, Colin Williams, disagrees and firmly believes that product caught by foreign charter vessels is New Zealand produce.
6: It leaves New Zealand as product of New Zealand. And it's processed to New Zealand standards and the, the pack houses or the licensed premises for processing that fish are licensed by New Zealand Food Safety Authority. But essentially it's not caught by New Zealanders on a New Zealand vessel. Does that not bother Sea Lord at all? Well, to all intents and purposes, you, know, you can view it that it is caught on a Sea Lord vessel in that we've had these same chartered ships for an excess of 10 years. The captains and the officers on those ships have have New Zealand waters experience of greater than 10 years. The same standards for health and safety, same standards for factory maintenance and and cleanliness and and accommodation are exactly the same as we run for for the balance of our fleet. So from our perspective we don't differentiate that they're different people or, or another class of persons. They are a valuable contributor to Sea Lord's business.
1: While companies such as Sea Lord may maintain the same standards on their vessels, whether they are foreign charters or not, there are examples elsewhere of exploitation and shoddy poor practices. The Minister of Fisheries and Aquaculture, Phil Heatley, says he will treat recommendations from the inquiry panel investigating
9: the use of foreign charter
1: vessels very seriously.
9: The argument 35 years ago was that we didn't have the New Zealand fishing fleet to catch the quota for New Zealand companies, so they needed to rely on foreign fishing fleets, which a number of companies still do, and those companies argue that they still need to, that they can't afford the 30, 40 million dollar boats to catch the fish. That argument clearly is being tested by the inquiry. We will be interested in the results but we need to make it clear that the government's major concern is our international reputation as a good fisheries manager, as a country that operates with good labour laws and that uh, maritime safety, uh, the safety of crews and the the safety of ships and And the way that they operate is all important
1: to us. In his submission to the Ministerial Inquiry, maritime lawyer Peter Dawson is calling for New Zealand to take more control over the operations of foreign charter vessels rather
2: than simply hiring them to catch the fish. I've suggested that firstly it be a requirement for any permitting, either for a vessel licence or for an approval in principle to recruit crew that the vessels be demise chartered into a New Zealand operator. By doing so, this requires the crew to be, for example, employed by a New Zealand company and the full range of New Zealand employment law would then apply to the crew. It would bring them into compliance with the Maritime Transport Act and all of their regulations regarding the condition and the maintenance of the vessel. It would also allow the food safety and other authorities full jurisdiction over these vessels. So I'm not suggesting that Ownership has to switch in the short term from the foreign operator to the local operator, but I would suggest that future operation should be conditional upon the vessel's bareboat chartering into New Zealand.
1: Telles already runs what is known as a demise charter operation, a foreign-owned vessel but with a 100% New Zealand crew aboard. The minister, Phil Heatley, says he is very keen to see and understand possible alternatives to how
9: the deep sea fishery could be run. The team are very keen to actually look at the numbers and look at the economics and see if New Zealand is getting the best value out of the current system. Um, certainly, you know, 35 years ago when there was no significant domestic fleet, the story was quite different to now because the domestic fleet has built up over time. The question is how far can it go? And that's a good question to ask and one we're interested in.
1: The inquiry's chair, Paul Swain, says the next stage of the inquiry will be to investigate the submissions on a practical level.
5: Then, of course, we're going to be you know, testing some of the ideas that have been brought forward. Uh, clearly, we, we will need to be talking to officials as well and testing out some of the options um, that might well have been suggested uh, from the submissions. Uh, we'll be working over summer, clearly, but um, we've given assurance to both ministers of... Labor and Fisheries, that uh, we will have this report on time by the end of February next year. So it's going to be a busy time, but we're confident that we can deliver on time.
0: The Chairman of the Inquiry Panel investigating the use of foreign charter vessels, Paul Swain, ending that Insight programme by Nick Butcher.